CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey guys, it's Mark Striegel. We have a great episode. Scott Travis is here with us and also... Jim Baki. So please stay tuned for long interviews with both of these guys. One famous guy uh, who has been a long, has a long history in the history of hard rock and heavy metal. That would be Scott Travis. One not so famous guy who also has a long history uh, as far as hard rock and heavy metal go. Uh, that that guy would be Jim Baki. So stay tuned for both. Uh, these interviews will we'll obviously start first with the Scott Travis interview. I just wanted to mention before we get into the show to please support Talking Metal. You can do this by making a PayPal donation. And the place you can do that is paypal.me slash mark, that's M-A-R-K, Striegel, S-T-R-I-G-L. Paypal.me slash Mark Striegel, M-A-R-K-S-T-R-I-G-L. And you can also support us by using our Amazon links. No matter what country you're in, America, you know, North America, in Canada, or the United States, or, or the UK, we have Amazon links for all these places. And uh, guys, please, especially from Canada and the UK, we need you to jump on this and use these links the other way you can support is by leaving me a message of encouragement. I have a bunch of them. I'm going to play them soon. 973-757-1917 is where you do that. Please leave me a message. You can follow me on Snapchat. It's Talking Metal, the number four you. Emily Striegel and I run that account. There's a Talking Metal Instagram. There are Talking Metal Twitter accounts at Talking Metal and at Striegel, S-T-R-I-G-L. You can use, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, but really what I need from you guys right now is the PayPal donations and the Amazon links, using those Amazon links, and also our Patreon account. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Talking Metal. Please support us there with a monthly pledge. I was recently laid off from my job in early December. It's, uh, I got to be honest, it's been a hard month. And uh, I spend a ton of money on this website. And uh, I'm for the first time in a long time, I'm worried about this podcast and this uh, website. I don't know if I can continue to afford to pay all the money for, you know, Spreaker and, and the the CD ba- the host baby costs and the GoDaddy costs if, if uh, I have no income. I'm desperately trying to get a job. 
A, so I can support my family, and B, so I can continue doing this uh, great thing that I've been doing since 2005, Talking Metal. Uh, guys, if there's any, if there's ever been a time in the history of this podcast to show some support, it's now. And I, I hope we can continue doing what we do here. But um, again, I'm starting to freak out a little bit. So anyways, that's that. And on, on that cheerful news, here we go. This is a brand new episode of Talking Metal. Mark Striegel, John Astronomy, the Talking Metal Podcast, coming to you from the Silver Spacecraft. I'm Bud Friendly, and now your hosts, Mark and John. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Metal Podcast. My name is Mark Striegel, and I am joined by co-host, co-founder, the the co-pilot of this episode and of Talking Metal, John Astronomy. How are you? I am doing great, Mark. Happy great New Year, man. I haven't spoken yet. Yeah. Metal. Yeah, 2018. Happy New Year. Yeah. Uh, ready for a great 2018 filled with Talking Metal, regular metal, and uh, all things metal. Absolutely. Cool. We have some great guests on today's show. Scott Travis, in one of his first interviews since uh, the announcement of the new Judas Priest record, we're going to talk to him all about that. I actually recorded this rec- uh, this interview in uh, Epic Records in New York City. Oh, I don't know. It had to be a month ago at this point. And right. right. Maybe maybe less. I'm not sure. Yeah, I guess three three somewhere three to four weeks ago in New York City, I recorded this. And it's great, man. They played me the the entire Judas Priest record, the new record, before anyone had heard it. I was one of the first guys there on the first day of interview. So I, I truly believe that I was possibly outside of people in the inner circle, one of the first people in the world to hear the record. Yeah, and that's great. It's it's great stuff, John. It's, it's really... They're not inventing uh, anything new with this record and that's a good thing what they're doing Correct. is revisiting all eras of their sounds uh, wow. through throughout their career and you're going to hear stuff that you haven't heard Priest do in a long time you're going to get uh-huh. everything you as the Judas Priest fan wants from this record uh, wow. I, am, I am really excited to hear this record again I've only heard it once and it blew my mind. And I will uh, say that I heard every song but one when I was there. There was one they they didn't play me, and that was simply because uh, Scott was ready to do an interview with me, and uh, I had to be pulled out of the the private listening room that I was in, listening yeah. to the record, to go talk with him. And do you remember we you and I interviewed him years ago? It had to be probably 10, 11 years ago. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. And I remember a bunch of different things with Scott Travis. I remember he was at the Gibson showroom, and I don't think that was the day we interviewed him, but he no. was there doing VH1 uh, Rock Honors stuff, and Ace okay. and Peter were there, there that day. And I remember um, 
taking photographs of Scott that ended up on uh, the Gibson.com website, and that was really cool. Wow, cool. And, um, and then I ran into Scott uh, dressed in the astronomy suit, believe it or not, um, on the red carpet for VH1 Rock Honors. Right, okay. The astronomy <laughs> I, suit, to anybody who doesn't know, yeah. is uh, John used used to. I don't think you've, you've put it on in a I while, but used it was a time, yeah. silver outfit and... It was kind of your your rock star persona, if you will, right? Yeah. yeah. And you hear something really funny. Um, Scott initially thought I said cocking metal instead of talking metal. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, that was really – he goes, what's your show called? Cocking metal? I go, no, no, talking metal. So that was really funny. But yeah. that uh, Scott's an amazing drummer, and um, me being a drummer, um, I- I'm just uh, always been impressed by Scott and his playing. It's great that he's been in Priest for so long at this point now, you know? It's yeah, not like one definitely. of these uh, bands that switch people out every day. I don't like that. Yeah, he's been with them a long time. We're going to talk to him about his history with Judas Priest, his musical history in general, and of course the brand new Judas Priest record, Firepower, which is coming out on March 13th. Uh, actually, that's, that's not correct. The tour starts on March 13th. The album, I believe, also comes out in March. You can pre-order it now. We're going to have links up in today's show notes on TalkingMetal.com where you can do that. And, uh, yeah, there's some cool stuff. Like if you if you pre-order it through Pledge Music, you can get the album uh, and also a limited edition colored vinyl version of it, uh, autographed vinyl test pressings, an exclusive Judas Priest t-shirt, and an extremely limited number of Judas Priest autograph guitars that's all available through Pledge Music for this new Judas Priest record. There's a brand new music video out for, I guess I would call it the first single off the record. It's called Lightning Strikes. They actually played me this video when I was at Epic Records uh, a month ago before they played me the, the, the record, and it's a great song. What a way to start the, uh, the excitement about the new record. Lightning Strikes. This is available on iTunes. It's out. It came out on the 5th of January. Go download the song in full. This is just a short 90-second sample of the song. So go buy it on iTunes and support Judas Priest. After we hear this little 90-second sound sample of the song Lightning Strikes, we will be hearing from Scott Travis and and myself, uh, recorded in New York City at the end of 2017. Here we go.
sound a little, little bit like Bob Coburn. Oh, yeah. Have you heard uh, that before? I, I actually did hear that maybe once or twice, but it's that? been a while. So but, that's uh, how I start interviews. The, uh, yeah. Night, night, what was yeah. Rockline. Rock, Rockline, yeah. Yeah, I used to love yeah. that show. I used to love that show. Check one, two, check one, two. Give me a one, two. Check one, two. Bob Coburn here. Hey, it's Mark Striegel of Talking Metal, and I am in New York City where I just heard the brand new Priest record, Firepower. And wow, I, I am still digesting all this as I sit with Scott Travis, yes. the drummer of Judas Priest. What an honor. Scott, thanks for uh, having me here thank, and playing me the new record. Thank you, man. Thank you uh, for interviewing us. Oh, you bet. I mean, this, again, I just heard almost all this new record, which I'm, I'm still digesting. But, but one of the things that really stuck out to me about it was how organically it seems to weave the history of Judas Priest into one listening experience, um, just from painkiller to sad wings of destiny to even like there was stuff on there I heard that reminded me of something that could have come off of point of entry. And sometimes this stuff all happens within one song. How... How how did it work when you guys were putting these song ideas together? Was that a conscious effort that we kind of re- need to go back and revisit the greatness of our past? Or was this just something that kind of happened organically and naturally? I would say it's a little bit of both. Obviously, you'd have to ask that of, of Richie and Rob and, and Glenn as far as, you know, did they intentionally write some guitar parts like that? But keep in mind Richie certainly wasn't part of those old records right and neither was I so um I don't know if it was a conscious effort really on the on their writing behalf but from recording and then obviously having Andy Sneap and Tom Allen now Tom Allen was part of the yeah. old priest uh, heritage and and the priest sound so to speak and so he was able to I think incorporate and, and bring some of that that old style back and then Andy also, even though he's what I will call a modern producer, modern day producer, um, he's a big priest fan, and he sure. he lived on the lineage and, and just understood the, the the priest world and the heritage of priests. So he he was a big fan of those the uh, the older records and the older sounds. So definitely was a conscious effort on on their parts as well as ours, you know, in, in the performing aspect of it. I mean, even some of the drum stuff I did, you know, I wanted to borrow a little bit of Les Banks, Les Banks is, sure. uh, you know, some of his influence, which I'm a big fan of his anyways from way back in the day. So, um, yeah, it, it was, it was conscious, but I don't know if it was written in there like that. Maybe hopefully it just came out of that way or came out that way, you know, like you said, organically, which was uh, cool that you were able to recognize that. Yeah, I mean, even the vocal stylings, like I hear uh, like on songs like uh, I think Sea of Red, which has this softer side to it, uh, at least in some of the song and uh, Rise from Ruin, Ruins, I think was another one where I haven't heard Rob sing like he sings in those verses for decades, really. I mean, there was just this real, just clean sing-songy type of vibe to his voice, beautiful sounding, and just so refreshing to hear that. Um, And uh, yeah, just really loving the record, and I can't wait for the the Talking Metal listeners to to check this out. When you look over these new tracks, what are some of the ones that jump out as your favorites? 
interesting you should ask that because Rob and I were doing an interview earlier today and I made the point that 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 I've moved around a bit on my favorites on this record, meaning that when I first heard some of the early demos, you know, you have favorites and you like certain hooks or verses or choruses or whatever. And then as a drummer, then I'm in the studio playing the songs. And then again, there may be some different songs like, wow, I really love this groove or I love playing this, you know, slamming the, through this with Richie and playing the double bass part. And then full circle, then you hear, quote unquote, the finished product after more layers of guitars and vocals have been put on, it's been mixed and produced a little bit. And then obviously you're me, I'm listening to the finished product. And then I have new favorites at that point. So to answer your question after that long winded uh, intro, um, I really like Rising from Ruins is probably, yeah. if, you, if you put a gun to my head and said, what's your favorite? That would be on there. Lone Wolf, um, Evil Never Dies is, is just a cool, simple, you know, straight ahead rock, rock priest tune. Um, Never the Heroes, I think, is a great, meaningful song in the sense, just lyrically, even though I have nothing yeah. to do with the lyrics, but it's just a really, it's a great song. And I, I think, great you know, hook on that one yeah, too, it's a yeah. great hook. Um, Dude, it, you know, I'm glad to hear you recognize. And again, I know it must be difficult to hear something for the first time, especially if it's 14 songs. That's a lot to digest. But the record does have a lot of ebbs and flows and, and hopefully has some movement to it where, you know, not the first song doesn't sound like the fifth song sounds like the eighth song. Hopefully there's some some um, different uh, sounds and, and just vibes that people are going to get when they listen to it. You know, Rising from Ruins, which you mentioned, has this beautiful intro, which I guess you guys are calling Guardians, like mm. a musical instrumental uh, yeah. that almost sounds like something like classic Queen, you yeah. know, before it, it has this piano and then these almost Brian May-esque guitars that come in. Great, great stuff. Um, you guys recently, I'm assuming it was recently, shot a music video, which I also got uh, a sneak peek at. Where do, where do music videos what do they do for you guys nowadays? I mean, it's such a, it's such a different time than when music videos were released and MTV would play them and, uh, you know, VH1 and stuff. Are they still a necessity? Do you still enjoy doing them? What are your thoughts on music videos in 2017? Let me address this one first. I have not seen the video. so oh, it's, it's um, good. It's really good. Well, I think that it was older footage of us on tour two or three years ago, because obviously oh, okay. we haven't toured in, in a number of years now. So I think it was older footage that was married to the audio, audio track of, of this song. So clearly it's not us really playing the song and hopefully, you know, that's not what it appears to, is that what it appears to look like? Like we're playing the song? It, it to me, it looked like that, but it okay. looked like there were some clips that were possibly from live performances. Yeah, so you yeah. didn't go to a sound stage and no. shoot. No, okay. No, no, no. And I don't think, like I said, I don't think that's the intent to try and make it look like that. But, uh, like I said, I have not seen the video, so I probably shouldn't even comment. But anyway, to, to, I will answer your question in this regard. I mean, I think videos are super important nowadays, more so really than ever, because everybody, I'm holding up my phone even though you right. can't see it, everybody has one of these, and it's literally a computer and a TV in your phone, I mean, in your hand, and, um, and people want to see things as well as hear it nowadays, you know? Uh, so I think it's important to have some visual cues we'll call them just visual things for people to digest along with audio and um yeah we gotta we gotta do more of it in my opinion in the studio on this record you had you had two producers right tom and andy who mm -hmm. you mentioned 
what was the dynamic like them? Were they both there in person? Was there a pull, yin and yang type of thing? But between them, how did they work together as, as a team, in well, your opinion? What did you witness? Surprisingly, they, they worked really, really well. And I say surprising only because they had never worked together. And we meaning the you know the band we don't know how people are going to get together whether it's an in, i mean how they're going to get along whether it's an engineer or producers or whatever and uh, i would like to mention speaking of engineers mike exeter who worked on redeemer of souls with us and he did some work with uh, black sabbath on their seven album cool um but he's a super cool guy and uh, so we really had three you know engineers slash producers working on it but no tom and andy got along great they were both in the studio all the time um, and no, there was no yin and yang. I mean, obviously, you know, there's going to, at some point, somebody's opinion is going to differ from another, but there was never any arguments or right. n- nothing even remotely close to that. I mean, everything always, you know, got agreed upon after extensive listening and, and options and things like that. That's the main thing to do also is to have options, um, I'd asked for a Dr. Pepper, and suddenly a Dr. Pepper appeared. Oh, well, look at go. that. Thank you very much. Um, and on talking metal, do I have to talk like a metal, or can I just do normal voice? <laughs> yeah, you're just, doing fine. Okay, you're good. doing fine. When you hear talking metal, you think you got to talk metal. Anyways, that was a joke. But anyways, um, no, it was really smooth, and I was happy because I had never been able to work with Tom Allum in the past. Obviously, he was doing the priest stuff before I joined the band, so it was really cool to be able to, to work with him. Awesome. I'm very excited. I just bought my tickets for the show in Newark, New Jersey. Saxon, Black Star Riders, which is kind of the Thin Lizzy offshoot. You you did some work with with Thin Lizzy, which Mm -hmm. we can talk about. But to me, after hearing this record today, that is the the perfect tour to go out and support this record. Because like, like we said, you're kind of revisiting different eras of the band with with uh, this record which i think the longtime fans are going to love was there you know i i don't know how involved you were with picking your your touring mates of saxon and black star riders but was there an overall thought that that we need to have some contemporaries on the bill with us who are going to appeal to people who are the longtime priest fan Yes. When you say contemporaries, you mean contemporaries are contemporaries well, or new, new, well, I mean new bands? that you're not going out with Trivium or Avenge Sevenfold. You're going exactly. out. I mean, you know, I mean, no, you I, guys were a lot bigger than 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 at least Saxon ever was. You know, uh, Priest was, but still, Saxon is a band that I saw when I was 14 years old, as too. is Priest, and and to me. This whole night, I mean, I'm going to be there from the second the lights go down for right. whoever's playing first. I think it's Black Star Riders. So yeah. I can just experience this whole night. I was so excited because, you know, when Metallica toured recently, to me, like, I don't know, the the, the bands that they had on with them weren't really bands that that were a part of of my musical history. And it was, you know, I don't know. I, it was, the audience response was kind of weird. But to me... This grouping seems just just perfect, at least for guys like me who have been longtime metal fans, longtime priests. Well, fans. dude, that's great to hear because honestly, you are our tar- target audience in the sense that we want to appeal to the traditional heavy metal fan, and of course, like you said, Sa- uh, Saxon being a, a longtime English heavy metal band, and they certainly have some classic songs, and uh, Scott Gorm and Black Star Rider. I mean, he's 
a classic legendary guitar player yep. so we love having them and we toured with those guys a few years well both bands we've toured with them before so we get along with them and they get along and um it's great musically like you said we want to keep it you know on the upper shelf as far as bands that have some history history uh within them and make it a real heavy metal show so hopefully people will appreciate and, and come out and support cool and let's talk also about some of your history you obviously started off way back when with a band that really just spawned so much heavy metal and hard rock history racer x <laughs> paul gilbert bruce bouillet was in there um you had let's see jeff and and john all, all these guys have have gone on to do so much stuff. Do you have any contact with any of them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. all the time. I see Jeff uh, Martin. He lives in Lake Tahoe, and I still communicate with uh, John Alderetti, uh, Bruce. Not as much, even though I've seen him on Instagram and stuff. And um, and Paul, not so much either. He's he's a he's a different bird. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, you're right. You know, there's a funny little trivia question in there. Did you know the Racer X? has three Grammy winners within that band. So if really? you ever wow. wanted, somebody wanted to do a trivia, you go, what heavy well, metal? you. I mean, John Alderetti won one with Mars Volta. Okay, right. And Bruce yeah. Boyer won a production Grammy for a Motorhead album he did. Oh, that's right, right. It was a, a, a Motorhead cover of a Metallica song, Whiplash, uh, I think. Something yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 yeah but with, it, with uh, Bob Kulik. Yeah, yeah exactly. Was, yeah, dual producer. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And Because yeah. uh, I, I did have one of two of those tribute albums with, with Bruce and Bob. I think right. I, I did a Kiss one for a second, where they would just bring in a bunch of different musicians playing different songs. But anyways, um, yeah, that's a little bit of trivia. Because obviously, you know, Racer X, we couldn't get arrested back in the 80s so we never really achieved much success uh, outside of Los Angeles but uh, it's just ironic like you said that that little band from LA in the 80s spawned you know the musicians and and some of the uh, the credits that we did but um, and was also kind of if correct me if I'm wrong but it was your gateway into Judas Priest oh absolutely yeah, yeah the story the, the shortest story I can deliver is that um, Jeff Martin the singer in Racer X he was casual friends with Rob Halford. They both lived in Phoenix at the time, and Jeff was in a band, uh, or prior to Racer X, Jeff was in a band called Surgical Steel. Sorry, I had a brain moment right. there. He was in Surgical Steel, based in Phoenix. Rob lived in Phoenix, and they just were mutual friends. You know, Rob would go out and see the band once in a while and sing with them and yada yada. So one day, Rob calls Jeff and says, Dave Holland's left the band, and we're looking for drummers, and What's Scott doing? You know, because yeah. they had heard the rate again, being mutual friends. Every time Jeff got a new Racer X album, he would send it to Rob saying, Here's our new product, check it out, as friends do. You know, here's my right. new shit, listen to it. So, uh, Rob and the band were aware of the Racer X material. And um, you luckily, actually covered what, what at the time a was an unre- unreleased Judas Priest song. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually, the cool thing was it was a great song. And we actually got a little bit of airplay locally on KNAC, the, the local heavy metal radio station in Los Angeles. They played it on, on the airwaves, you know, a number of times. And um, <laughs> full circle, then years later, Priest redoes, like, yeah, I think we'll have that song back. I'm like, yeah. dude, come on. Like, <laughs> well, you know, but yeah, it was their song. And, and, uh, at the time, I guess they just weren't interested. And then when they heard, you know, I think they wanted to redo it after a while. Cool. And, you know. It was you, not as good, of course, but whatever. 
you also, when, when priest kind of, uh, the priest version wasn't as, as good as the yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, joking, because yeah, 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 obviously yeah. they wrote it first, and yeah. we heard their demo version, and then we whipped up our own little version, yeah. and then, you know, yeah. of course. And then I, I think Rob did a, a version of it with Halford. His, did he? His, yeah, wow. it's, it's like okay. a, a that, bonus track or yeah, something. Yeah, there you yeah. go. It's funny. You know, yeah. some one, one man's trash is somebody else's treasure, you know, so <laughs> yeah. that little song got a lot of uh, mileage. Um, you left Judas Priest when the band, I, I don't, I don't know if left is the right word because you, you maybe never truly left, but you went with Rob Halford to do fight. Well, the singer right? quit. Yeah. When yeah. the singer quits your band, you got a, you got a momentary, uh, decision to make as far as, well, Hey, the band, no. Uh, yeah. Rob had left the band in 1991. Right. And, um, luckily he asked me to, to be a part of his new band, which was called fight. And, um, I, you know, asked the guys in Priest, KK and Ian and, and Glenn, and said, hey, you know, Rob's asked me to, to join him. Do you guys have a problem with And they said, no, absolutely. And we prefer you to do it, actually, just to keep, you know, keep it all in the family, so to speak. And they weren't sure what they were going to do at the time. Right. And um, so, yeah, it worked out. And did Fight finish before Judas Priest was kind of gearing up to, to do do more stuff with, again, with Ripper? Yeah, again, the it time, kind of finished? Yeah, it, yeah. it had its natural um, rise and fall, if you will. In other words, we did two records, and then after that, the label said, no, thank you, you know, we're not interested in a third. And then, so that was basically the end of Fight, and that was around 94, 95, I believe. And at that time, Priest was ready to get reinvigorated or get back in the saddle, whatever you want to call it. And so uh, they flew me over to England, and... I ended up bringing the demo, the VHS uh, live performance of Ripper Owens singing okay. in his band British Steel. Cool. And, you know, Jugulator just turned 20 years old uh, mm-hmm. just last month. How do you look back on that record and just your time with, with Ripper in, in general? It was kind the, of, as a fan, no disrespect, but it was kind of a weird time for me and, and my relationship with Priest. As, yeah, as I can understand that. And But the only, the only thing I'll say in defense of, of any band that has to do that, you know, unless someone passes away, which is would be unfortunate for any band, bands typically have two choices. You can either fold up and never do anything again, or you can try and find a new singer and carry on. Um, so obviously Priest chose the, the latter, and um, it, it was it was cool. Obviously we weren't we weren't playing as big a places, but we still were productive and we put out some records and and didn't and and that was it. You know. Right on. It's rock and roll at the end of the day. So what you want to do, what I want to do personally as a musician, is you want to create music with people you get along with. You want it to be in the same genre of music that you really like. In other words, you don't want to sell out and do you know shit that you don't want to play. Right. And then you obviously want to go on tour and play for the fans. And we accomplished all those things. Very good. Do you hear much from K.K. Downing? Is he somebody that, that you or anyone in the band hears much from these days? No. No. Mm-mm. No. No contact. No, no. No, and it's not out of any sort of acrimony or, I mean, I don't certainly have any problem with KK and don't think he has any with me. It's just that, you know, we don't, we just don't have anything, you know, to talk about or communicate with, you know. I mean, I I liked him when he was in the band. We got along and obviously, you know, they hired me. So if he didn't like me, I'm sure I would have been gone a long time ago. But anyways, um, yeah, it's just the way things evolve, you know. Yeah, relationships. You know what I mean. It's like yes. you're friends with people, and you're in a band with them, and then when they leave the band or the band breaks, but whatever the case is, you just don't talk as much as you used to. Yeah, and let's talk about 
Richie's Richie Faulkner's involvement with this new album kind of circle back to the Firepower record, which again, guys, I just heard, and I'm, I really think it's again, I'm just digesting it all. But to me, it seems like your strongest output since since Painkiller. I mean, I really am excited by this and can't wait for the listeners to hear cool. this. Thank but you. Richie, primary songwriter at this point. Is that fair to say on the new record? Yeah, he's he's young and got a lot of ideas, and he's uh, he's adept at you know putting. I'm looking at your laptop over there. But right. He's adept at you know being able to be on the road or in a hotel room or backstage and and plug in those little apps and and jukeboxes and shit and and put ideas down you know on a laptop and be able to carry them around and introduce them to us and stuff like that. So yeah, he's he's prolific in that regard, and uh, he's got a lot of great ideas. Um, for me, when I listened to this this record and I, I compared it to Redeemer of Souls, uh, I'm hearing in a different production, and I, you know I, I'm sure a lot of that is is Tom and Andy. But I, I was just wondering, uh, to me, it's a it's a little bit of a, of a, a bigger sound than Redeemer of Souls, uh, warmer in a good way, like almost analogs, you know that that old mm-hmm. warm sound, clearer. Um, and the guitar sound just sounds brilliant. It's so, so good. What, how do you compare this record to Redeemer of Souls? What differences do you see in the record? By the way, that's my Dr. Pepper opening. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I keep mentioning that stupid name? They should give me an endorsement. Yeah, they now. should. Yeah. Anyways, um, and you can cut all that out if you want. But, um, well, obviously we have two different producers on this record that we didn't have on Redeemer. So anytime yeah. you change producers, you're automatically going to get a different sound. And that's usually what bands are looking for. That's why you hire different producers. Um, so, yes, again, great of you to recognize that. And um, we did record in a much more organic way than I'd certainly done since Painkiller. Really? Like to well. say that, yeah. So, um, again, hopefully that translates and comes through on the on the recording that, does, that yeah. you and the fans will, will be able to hear and, and uh, appreciate and hopefully like. Um, yeah, and, and that's it. Like I said, Andy's great, and he knows how to get you know great modern sounds, drums, guitars, and yada yada. He's a guitar player himself, so that's why the guitars are so goddamn loud, but that's just, that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wink, I'm kidding. But anyways, um, so yeah, there. You, I mean, proof is in the pudding. You have new producers, you're going to have a new sound. Yeah. A couple songs uh, we'll just hit upon and then we'll we'll wrap it up. Sea of Red, which I believe is going to close out the record. To me, this this I would call it a simple song, but so beautiful and and powerful. It, how does a song like that come together? Cuz when I li- listen to the just the chords, like if if Richie were to play me, I mean I I'm a nobody who knows nothing, but just those chords on a laptop, they don't sound I would have been like, "Oh, that's nothing." But yet when the drums, the the just incredibly powerful vocals on this song all come together as as one, the, it just really makes it just this magical moment that that closes out the record. I guess my question is, how does a song like that come together? Is that just a vibe in the studio with all you guys kind of coming together as, as one, or is it more pieced together? Like, how does a songwriting process work on that specific song? Yeah, it's it's obviously a little bit of, of all of that. I mean, if Richie comes up with a guitar riff and then Rob's going to have a, a vocal idea at some point, melody and, and lyrically, um, 
there's the nucleus, you know, there's the start of a song. And, and getting back to, to what you were saying earlier about some of the other songs and, and the variation in Rob's voice and how I think you used the word beautiful, which is yeah. certainly apropos because Rob is a excellent, I mean, again, duh, I'm going to say something that's Captain Obvious. I mean, Rob is a really phenomenal singer. Right. Not just a heavy metal singer, not just a right. Rob's a great, great singer. Absolutely. And they ain't growing on trees. Yeah. And um, with his age, he seems to have gotten better. And, um, you know, this album, I think, really showcases him as well as, as the guitars and everyone else. I mean, it, it really is a showcase for Rob Halford because he is a great singer. He deserves to be able to be heard in all these different environments and different textures and different... Like you said, just, you know, different melodies and things like that. So um, specifically about that song, I mean, I, I can't say exactly, you know, how what they were thinking when they came up with those parts. You should yeah. ask them. But um, I do know in the nucleus of the whole record that, again, it's, you know, it's it's a combination of a little bit of everything. I mean, yeah, again, what a beautiful the, track that is. Thank you. Yeah. And just to end things here today with Scott Travis in New York City, we are talking Firepower, which comes out in March. Judas Priest, definitely catch them with Saxon and Black Star Riders. I know I will be there at the Newark show. But just to end things with a, a thought, you know, Judas Priest, their, their catalog has had some different drummers. And, uh, you know, I, I, when you came into the band with Painkiller, your style is all over that record, as it is Firepower. Um, but... Les Binks, to me, a guy you mentioned earlier, his style is all over some classic 70s era Absolutely. Judas Priest stuff. I'm not a drummer, so I'm, I'm asking you, what made his style so so unique? Is it, was there a swing going that, that, that maybe Dave Holland didn't quite have? Because there was like almost a groove. Am I, am I right about that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Again, I don't know um, Les Banks, never met him, but I mean, clearly it sounds like he had some jazz influence with his right. uh, schooling or, you know, just his upbringing on the drums, we'll call it. So he definitely incorporated some of that, but then he also had the cool double bass and the heavy metal aspect, and he obviously threw that in there. But I agree with you. I mean, he's my favorite priest drummer, and um, all I ever say is Exciter. That's it. When I heard right. that song, I was like, I'm done. This is that is fucking killer. It's my favorite band. It's my yeah. favorite song. So, um, obviously he's a big influence on me and on, even on this record, like I mentioned earlier and you, you picked out, uh, we tried to bring in some of those old influences, you know, of, uh, the old, the, the Les Binks era and Dave Holland and, and everything within priest and hopefully captured all on, on one new modern sounding record. So, um, you yeah. did, you did it. Cool. Thanks Thank Scott. You Scott Travis, Judas priest guys. All right. Thank, Thank you, you so man. much. Thank you.
That's Rock Forever off the Hell Bent for Leather record, which was released February 28th, 1979. Uh, it was released uh, in 1978, actually, under a different name in other parts of the world. It was called Killing Machine uh, in Europe, I believe. And that features Les Binks on the drums. John, you were mentioning that you were a big fan as a drummer. You're a big fan of Scott Travis uh, and his drumming. Well, Scott is a big fan of Les Binks. He he loves Les nice. Binks playing. We were actually talking about that in the interview. And a great, uh, great record right there, Hellbent for Leather by Judas Priest, featuring Les Binks on drums. Again, that song, very, very Rock good. Forever. Definitely pick that up. John, besides Scott, who are some of your other favorite drummers? I have a lot of favorite drummers, and they all have different styles. So I, I grew up listening to Peter Chris and then Eric Carr, who are uh, – Peter's a little more jazzy in his early days. Eric Carr is more of a John Bonham style. Those were my favorite two drummers. Uh, but cool. um, Anton Fig, to me, I think he might be the world's greatest all-around drummer. He can play – Ace style music. He can play with Miles Davis. He can play with anyone. And and I love his playing. He is literally possibly, in my opinion, he's he's definitely one of the best drummers out there. Um, I, I've always liked Neil Peart. Um, I, I like Vinnie Paul. Uh, I've liked Tommy Lee, Blas Elias. Uh, there's just a lot of great guys, and and they're they're all different genres. I'm not a guy who just likes one specific style of drumming. Right on, right on, cool. Yeah, hey, I mean, I I'm got a little a surprise for you. Yeah, what do you got? I got a surprise for you. You have to check your telephone right now. I texted you an un, a never before seen photo, and it's really cool uh, for a lot of reasons. And I'll tell you why when you look at it. You have your photo? Yeah, uh, wow, your phone wow. handy? Yeah, I'm actually seeing this just for the first time. Rob Halford and Ace. Wow, very cool. Right. And check it out. Ace is doing like the metal sign. I've never ever seen him do that before. Yeah, wow. And he's doing like horns, the Dio yeah. style version of it, you know? That's awesome. That's awesome. But I just real quick, I want to hear about this photo. Um, we're gonna have Jim Baki on from the band Hitman. He is coming on in just a few minutes. And and Hitman, if you don't know, their music is featured in Stranger Things, a show that I just love. We're gonna talk to him all about that and about the return of the great classic metal band Hitman. But John, first before we start discussing this, is this a private photo or can I post this, this on, is in, a, on talking about This metal. is a com? private photo, but okay. I am going to for the first time give permission to have this private photo posted on talkingmetal.com. Okay. And, and this was a so surprise. No one has seen this yet. Yeah, I, it, John just shot this to me. This is again Rob Halford and Ace. Where where, where was this taken? What's the history? This behind was taken this? in Phoenix, Arizona. Now I think Rob might live in San Diego, where where Ace lives, but maybe not. Somebody had told me Rob lives in San Diego. Uh, I don't know. Do you know where he lives right now? Uh, I believe He's, he always used to be Arizona. I don't I don't know okay. for sure, but I, I believe it's probably still Arizona. But yeah, I, I, I bet know. it's Arizona. Maybe maybe the person who told me that he was in San Diego was incorrect, or maybe he has a second place out there. But anyway, this picture was in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, it was during the sound check for the Alice Cooper's Christmas pudding event that happened back in December, and that's a. Uh, uh, Great, great concert that uh, Alice puts on every year, and he includes a bunch of amazing musicians, including Rob Halford of Judas Priest and Ace Frehley. And um, 
It nice. was a it was a nice. great event, and uh, that was a, a photo uh, that uh, Ace had on his cell phone. So um, let's let's post this, uh, you know, in the show notes for today's uh, episode of Talking Metal. Yes, and it's it's a really cool shot. I mean, how cool is that? Uh, that is Rob awesome. And Ace yeah. yeah, that is so so awesome. And you wait, you took that or no? I didn't or, took that. Oh, yeah, Ace texted okay. that to me. Okay. Um, I once again, I've been so crazed uh, with. With uh, touring and and with my my day to day work uh, back here in the East Coast, that I uh, set that event up and uh, and believe it or not, I was opening for Winger actually uh, with Like It uh, the the day before this or the day after this event happened. So it was um, right. It was really it would have been really difficult for me to get out to the event. But uh, if but you don't I did, know, guys, Like It is John's band. We've spoken about that before. But if you're a new listener, Like It is. The the Thank band you. that John plays with, great band, definitely uh, check them out. What's Thank the you. web address, John? Uh, like it or like dash it dash online dot com. Right on. So anyway, yeah, two two events I missed only because of being so busy, and I've I've done a couple of Ace events. So Ace has been super busy. First he has the Alice Cooper Christmas pudding. Then we did a uh, three day run in Texas, in San Antonio, Houston, and Dallas. Uh, that was great. Uh, a lot of great bands were down there. Um, we played like two or three gigs with a, a bunch of uh, great bands like LA guns enough's enough uh, chips enough became has become one of my best friends um, he's great uh, a lot of bands Stephen Piercy I believe was down there maybe maybe not no not Stephen Piercy um, Don Dockin uh, cool. Dockin played and uh, uh, he's he, he was very cool and just a lot of uh, great great people um, were uh, involved with these gigs. I, I saw uh, Jason McMaster from uh, Dangerous Toys. Uh, cool. They played on one of the gigs. Um, there was a, a couple of supposed festivals. to be calling in to Talking Metal. Hopefully this this week, oh, so nice. that we'll hopefully we'll post that soon. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. A lot. A lot of great stuff. Um, another thing happened. Then Ace did the Winter Classic uh, NHL hockey event on New Year's Day, and that was at City Field uh, in. Queens, New York, and let me tell you a little bit about that. We had a sound check the night before in like literally zero degree weather, and um, so on New Year's Eve we're out doing a sound check, and then um, then New Year's Day morning we had to get right back out to City Field, and uh, it was amazing. Ace played New York Groove completely live. There was there was a ton of pyro. Uh, there's there's a bunch of different versions of this floating around, but you can get the gist of it when you see it um, on YouTube. And Ace did a great interview with the NHL guys, and the teams came out. Ace was like fist bumping like the New York Rangers and stuff, and Ace had a Rangers shirt. Now here's the crazy thing that happened. There's there's a, a couple of the videos that you can see where at one point Ace and we didn't tell the producers this. He he goes up, and I run up to the stage. And he hands me his light guitar, and I'm, I think I'm holding another one of his guitars at the time. And, cool. and he takes his coat off, and underneath his leather jacket, he has a Rangers jersey. Now, what happened was I took a step back and didn't realize that I was right nearly on top of one of these, like, fl- flash pots or flame-throwing flash pots or whatever they are. We, we nearly had one of those uh, unfortunate incidents where someone gets caught in one of those, oh, similar man. to James Hetfield. Yeah. Uh, thank God I didn't, but... 
but the the flames were so hot that people, you know, in the stands could feel the flames. So I was like right in between the flames, nearly hit by one. So that was not the NHL's fault. Uh, let me let me say that was my fault because I was instructed not to go where I did, and and uh, we had this like uh, secret. Uh, clothing uh, change uh, that we did which was totally cool because the fans went crazy when ace uh took off his coat and he had the ranger jersey that said fraley and 27 awesome. people people were wondering what's 27 that's ace's birthday uh 4 april 27th and 27th is his lucky number you can see it on the blimp and the cover of origins and uh so that was a great event and uh, and so now uh and and then ace uh, goes out and uh just yesterday jams with gene at gene simmons vault experience at uh, I believe Capitol Records Studios in uh, LA and that was awesome. Eric Singer was there Bruce Kulik was there uh, Brent Woods who plays with Sebastian and a bunch of other people uh, was the audio engineer on that so uh, it was just a great uh, event uh, cool. put together from uh, uh, Gene and his vault team uh, which includes Keith and a bunch of other great people so anyway, lots of stuff. And then uh, Ace is going to be back on the East Coast for three shows in New York and New Jersey uh, coming up February 1, 2, and 3. So if you yeah, can get Yeah, I'm coming, man. Those, I'm coming. You said yeah, I can come to the come. Anglewood show, right? I did. And, and okay. guess who else is going to probably come to that show? Dan Lorenzo. Oh, cool. And yeah, Emily, my wife, as most of you guys know Emily, but I hate to put you on the spot here. We haven't spoken about this, but she okay. said... She, if there's anything you can do to get her a picture with Ace, uh, she would be so. Oh yeah, incredible. yeah, she's got it. She's got so it. No grateful problem. because uh, she's mad at me because uh, well, we didn't get a photo with him. Uh, I've ta- taken her to see Ace many times, and uh, I've never gotten a photo of her <laughs> and him together. Get so if that can happen, you know, whatever it, it takes, just let me know. <laughs> Man. Guess what? I got to yeah. tell you, I, I have a, a, some some stuff. I even looked up pronunciation on this. I, before we get into yeah, the yeah, interview, yeah. Um, I'm drinking um, a, a beer, and I believe it's called Zewix. I'm gonna I'm gonna okay. hear the pronunciation one more time, then I will uh, say it. So stand by. Stand by. All right. Zivich. 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 It's Z Y W I E C. It's uh, Polish. Uh, Polish's uh, or Poland's. It's a Polish beer, and it's uh, noted it some by some to be Poland's number one beer. So uh, cool. if you're from Poland and you're listening to Talking Metal, uh, tell us how to pronounce Zivich, and if it is, in fact, considered Poland's number one beer. I'm drinking that. Let us know. And if that's not enough, I have four 100-milliliter bottles of Glen Morangy. Pronunciation uh, is emphasis. Is that a it's scotch? Like, what is that? Scotch, yeah. It's, uh, so right now, I'm, um, the one I'm uh, drinking is a 12-year-old Highland single malt scotch whiskey. It says the Quinta. I don't know. It looks like La Quinta. Like uh, Quinta Ruban port cast finish. So I'm drinking two things. I had it all ready for today's episode. The Zivich beer. And this uh, special scotch that has the word La Quinta in it. Right. Like the hotel. Talking metal style. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, I'm not drinking anything exciting. I have uh, some Perrier water here. Wimpy, but... That sounds good, though. That's healthy. Yeah, well, I'm going to have a a drink later for sure. Uh, But Oh, I got the Iron Maiden beer, by the way. Oh, dude, yeah, I have one right in my fridge. A few few free for me. Now, who would you say is better, the Iron Maiden beer or the Megadeth beer? Ooh. You know... (sighs) They're they're both a different taste. I I like them 
I like them both, and I'm not just saying that because it's Megadeth and, and Iron Maiden, uh, the Tutlamon beer and the Trooper beer. Oh, we're talking yeah. about, yeah, both both very both very good, both different tastes. Okay, mm, I might lean slightly towards the Megadeth one, although wow, again, I've, yeah, I've got to try know. that. I've got to get it. Yeah, you know the Anthrax one, which is very hard to find. I did find a six pack of that. Was definitely my favorite. Um, oh, and, okay. and there is a Mastodon beer too, which I drank out of oh. a, a Duff's bar in in brooklyn oh there. Yeah. yeah i'd love a, to go there someday i've never been to duff's bar. i have a patch that says duff's but I yeah we should definitely never been to duff's. yeah let's do it anyways i gotta get into this interview john and we're oh, gonna okay. do another yeah. episode with you right now um so we'll post that in a, a a few days but a big thanks to chip for lining up the scott travis interview definitely support chip. judas priest chipster. yeah chipster and let's right now speak with jim Baki from the band hitman that's two t's in hitman and uh, we'll first hear some of their music. This is all classic music by Hitman going way back to the 80s. Dead on Arrival. And then we'll end today's show after the interview with a song called Metal Sport as featured in Stranger Things, the hit Netflix TV show. So, yeah, let's check out Jim right now. And a big thanks to Jim for coming on Talking Metal. Guys, support what we do here by using the Amazon links and there's the PayPal um, donation tab. You can use that, too. It's just my email, striegelmark at gmail.com, S-T-R-I-G-L-M-A-R-K at gmail.com. Show your support. And, uh, yeah, when you see Ace in concert, make sure you track down John and, and say hello. Yes, absolutely. I, I met a, a bunch of great friends of mine in Texas on the last run. I'm getting to know people in different towns, so it's really cool, guys. If, if you're at one of these Ace shows ask you know even if you don't know me go up to somebody who looks like they work there and say you'd like to talk to the tour manager john ostrowski or astronomy however you want to say it and they will track me down and i'll come out and say hello for right sure on. all right guys here's a little hitman followed by my interview with jim from hitman remember to go to the show notes uh talkingmetal.com will take you directly there you will see uh, the picture John just texted me of Rob Halford and, and Ace Fraley, and you will also see a picture of me and Scott Travis taken in the Epic Record building during the or right after the the interview that you heard earlier in the episode. That does it, and uh, yeah, at least for us. There's but here's there's still you know a good forty minutes left here with <laughs> yeah with we're going to be this not talking for a little while, yeah. but make sure you listen to the great interview and and the music that. Uh, comes before and after right on here we go Oh, <laughs> 
That's Mark Striegel from the Talking Metal Podcast and calling in on the line from the classic band Hitman, Jim Baki. Jim, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm great. And I got a, a crazy story I got to tell you that involves Hitman, your band, and the TV show Stranger Things, which I'll, I'll tell you that in a little bit. But first, let's introduce anyone who might not know the classic band Hitman to the the talking metal listeners because you guys weren't exactly mainstream back in the day but you put out some great music and if anybody was not aware of you which i'm sure there are a lot of people that are listening to this show who who were not let's just talk a little bit about the the history of the band and you know just a general let's say a general two to three minute history lesson in the band hitman okay uh Hitman started in 1985. Uh, myself and the late uh, great Michael Busolato, aka Mike Busell, uh, who was the bassist, we started the group. We had played in a couple of groups previous. One group called Attila, who put out a record. Um, we left and to do Hitman. Uh, started in 1985. We got uh, drummer Chuck Corey, who was in the band Takashi, another Long Island uh, metal band. And we got a then unknown, very young singer named Dirk Kennedy, who uh, sang with Anthrax very early on for about five minutes. And uh, I guess back in the day, we used that, you know, we we used that probably more than we should have. Uh, It is worth mentioning because it did happen, but it was very brief uh, when he was a youngster. Um, We did a, you know, we did a demo tape in 1985. five song demo. Uh, I was really into the European underground metal scene. So like anybody from England, uh, you know, new wave of British heavy metal, that was kind of, I grew up with that, you know? Uh, um, and that was, you know, we, we were into the European sound, Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, we loved Kiss, of course, as, as did everybody. And, uh, we wanted to make a band that had the, you know, the musical, intensity of a Judas Priest or an Iron Maiden and a, a show that would kind of be, you know, on not on the KISS level, but we were influenced by, we wanted to put on a great show. So that was kind of the building blocks of the band. We did a demo in 1985. We sent it to uh, a bunch of, you know, Euro Magazine's Metal Forces, uh, which gave us a great review and right. found us a, a real champion writer named Dave Reynolds who loved us and wrote great things about us. And we became uh, kind of big in the tape trading circles. That's kind of how we got any sort of notoriety over in Europe. Um, our first show uh, was opening for Striper on the To Hell with the Devil tour at wow. Nassau Community College. And it was a sold out show. And, you know, we were off and running. We were playing Lamar East after that and headlining and playing to a thousand people. And, you know, that's kind of how we got our start. Um, we always, you know, we had, we struggled trying to get the record deal, though. We wanted to get the big record deal. We ended up getting a SPV right. uh, in Germany signed okay. us, but they, they opened up, a, the, our manager said, if you open up an American division so we have an American deal, we'll sign with you. So they did. Uh, long story short, we made a record. Um, part of it was made before we signed with them, and then we finished it when we signed the deal. Uh, we made a record the day our record was supposed to come out. 
the guys running the office in the USA decided, you know, called up SVV and said, we're taking the money and leaving. Wow. <laughs> so the day our record was supposed to come out, uh, that happened. And, you know, the proverbial crap hit the fan. Uh, our, our record ended up getting licensed to Roadrunner, who we had spoken to in the past, and we didn't want to do a deal with them. Okay, so when it got licensed to Roadrunner, did that take some time? Did that did did it then get shelved for a while before it came out on 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 Roadrunner? Well, I would say it got delayed, maybe delayed, not shelved, okay. got delayed, right. uh, but not that long. I mean, they basically licensed it without asking our permission or getting our permission or anything. So we were just like, we don't want to be on Roadrunner. We talked to them, you know, we didn't, we didn't think they were the right label for us. Um, and at that time, our singer, Dirk, had gone around and he knew some label people and he had gotten some interested major labels, Polygram and uh, Atco, I think was one. And Polygram was really interested in signing the band and we had to wait for all that to spin out. And of course, SPV got greedy and asked for like a million dollars for our record. Oh my <laughs> and God. And Polygram was just like, yeah, you know, 1988 money. Think about that. So... Um, Polygram was just like, man, we can't spend a million dollars as a baby band. They haven't even the records. I mean, the record did come out on Road Runner eventually. Uh, the song "Will You Be There" was like number one on the CMJ charts the week it came out, and here we are, you know, sitting on this like opportunity, but we don't want to work with the label. And what what was you know, your main problem with Roadrunner? Why didn't you want to work with them? Because I mean, Roadrunner they were a pretty respected metal label back in those days. Yeah, I think we were just you know from the from the deal that we had spoken to them about, we were like, oh, we don't want to be part of that. Uh, I don't remember the exact reason. It's a long time ago, but right. we we were mostly mad because you know we had this whole deal set up with STV, and all of a sudden they just gave our record away to Roadrunner. And we were like, eh, we don't want to be on Roadrunner. And then right. we, we went to, you know, get a bigger deal. And then they asked for all this money. And it was like, you know, and it basically halted us in our tracks. But for the three years previous to that, you know, 85 to 88, we were playing big shows. We opened for Striper twice. We opened for Fate's Warning, for Saxon up in New Haven at the uh, big Agora Ballroom. Um, killer dwarves. We played with a lot of cool people, um, and we were doing really great. It's just that we hit that business stumble that kind of we never really recovered from. And then the business changed. You know, the music changed. It got right. The heavier bands got super heavy, and then it was you know either you were super heavy thrash or you were glam, and we were kind of like in that middle area. And you know, we struggled with that for a while, and then we eventually did a second record in like 91, but we were all over the place musically. We were one time sounding very commercial and then one time sounding very progressive. And that record came out in 93 and we went and toured in Germany uh, for it for a little bit. And, but you know, again, grunge, you know, and there it was, it was, it was gone, you know? Right. So um, that's kind of the brief history. Of so, of what so, happened, you know, we did have a really great second record, like halfway written. That would have been amazing had we gotten to do it. Uh, we just didn't get to do it. You okay. Know? So, uh, so the the first album that came out on Roadrunner is the self titled Hitman record. 
But then you mentioned this second yeah. record that came out. You said you recorded it in 91. It came out in 90, 1993. That that was Viva's Viva's Machine. Machine, was it? Is that? Viva's Machina. Yeah. Oh, oh okay. Oh, Beavis Machina. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm yeah, I'm reading it yeah. wrong. But okay, so that record. <laughs> that's right. you, but you said there was another second record that wasn't Vivas Machina that that you guys had done, or were working on at least. Uh, well, yeah, we had this whole kind of as as the uh, first album was you know going through. It's as we were done with the first album and it was going into you know manufacturing or whatever we had started writing these tunes and you know we were really in we really liked the whole concept thing that Queensryche were doing and we kind of came you know did a similar thing but we were you know we kind of went a little heavier and a, a little more progressive right um yeah, and that, that record uh we had about five or five or so songs written and it was a really great direction for the band and then we got into the whole that the whole business struggle and trying to get a record deal and you know what happens when you just solely exist to try and get a record deal you do stupid things you write stupid songs and we kinda, we kind of went down a bad path and we also got mired in that legal stuff the, the label polygram said well don't work that record on roadrunner because we're trying to buy it and you know all of a sudden you got people and lawyers telling you not to do stuff and we're you know, that's the death of a band when you wait around for the business to take care of you. That's what kills a band, you know, and we stayed together a long time, but it, it, it was a, it was just a a series of bad luck and circumstances. So when did you guys break up? Uh, we never really officially broke up. We just kind of stopped playing. I went on and did other, um, other bands and other music, I eventually moved to Los Angeles in 1995, which is where I still live. I live in Orange County now. Um, And everybody just kind of went on with their lives. I continued to do music. Dirk has continued to do music. He made a solo record, you know, probably eight years ago. Um, And everybody else just kind of didn't do that much music. They did stuff, but nothing really, they didn't really go for it. They went on with their lives, had kids, et cetera, et cetera. So, we never really broke up and we're still very much a family and close and, and all that stuff. And, and then, you know, our bass player passed away tragically in 2013. I'm so sorry. So we went to the funeral. Thanks. We went to the funeral and, and, uh, said, you know, we should really do something. We should, you know, reissue the first record and maybe get together and do something. There's audience. And I, you know, I never really kept in touch with the metal audience. I kind of got into different music. But Dirk always, the fans always found Dirk, you know, because we, we were very popular in like Germany and, you know, those places where SPV was, uh, and, and that type of music, you know, that type of metal was, remained popular. So like in Germany and Greece, places like that, apparently we had a pretty, you know, cult audience, right. which is, you know, I was pretty shocked. Keep It True asked us to play 10 years ago and, uh, I just didn't want to do it. A couple of the other guys didn't want to do it. We actually got added to the flyer and then they had to take us off because I think Dirk might've said, yeah, I'll get them to do it. And (laughs) I'm not sure what happened there, but uh, I was like, I wasn't interested in doing it at the time, but you know, after we lost Mike, uh, you know, this opportunity came up this year again and Oliver from Keeper True said, Hey, 
you know, we'd lo- I'd still love to have you guys. And I was just like, okay, it's 30 years. You know, it's like 30 year anniversary of the album this year. I was like, let's, let's do it. So, uh, no remorse, the label and, uh, that, that re- reissued our record, you know, hit us up and said, Hey, we'd love to reissue the Hitman album with a big full colored booklet and the demo, if you have the demo. So I was like, yeah, so we're all, that's what we're up to now. We're doing, cool. you know, I, I got, actually had the master for the demo and I remixed it oh, nice. because it was always sounded a little crappy. Yeah. And the great thing about the demo is that, um, the demo was only tape traded. So it was cassette to cassette. And so uh, people that had that demo literally had like sometimes fifth generation cassette copies of that demo. Um, so <laughs> this is a, you know, a treat for them. That demo, we found one on eBay that went for 400 and something dollars for the wow. cassette. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, who would, wow, I think I have one at home. So, um, so yeah, I said, well, I got, I got, we found this tape, and I was like, Dirk, send me that tape. I'm going to remix it and, you know, make it sound better. So that's, you know, that's uh, what we did. We, we have this reissued 30th anniversary with the demo, original demo, which is kind of what got us really started, especially in Europe. So, and that's uh, where we're at now. Nice. Now, the... And we're going to... You guys are, it's, it's the, so Mike passed away, tragically, you said, but besides mm-hmm. that, the lineup that, that people are going to see at, at Keep It True is the original members, correct? I mean, it's all original yeah. members except for except for you know, Mike, who is no longer with us. So who's who's right. joining you on bass? Uh, oddly enough, I, I uh, a guy who is uh, who I met when I was about fifteen. I used to jam with his older brother, um, and his older brother I used to go to their place and jam. And his older brother used to tell me, oh, you got to hear this guy, this guy, Mike. He, he has this band, Resurrection, and he learned the entire Rush Hemispheres album the day it came out. And, well, he told me about this guy, Mike. Well, ended up being Mike, our Mike. <laughs> so oh, okay. his younger brother, yeah, his younger brother plays bass, um, and we all used to hang out and, you know, and jam and all that stuff. His younger brother lives out here. And I reached out to him. And I saw that he had started playing again. And I said, hey, man, we're going to go do the show over in Europe. Uh, you know, as you know, Mike is gone. Would you be interested in playing bass? And, you know, he used to go sit and watch Mike play in his bedroom when he was, you know, in junior high school and high school. So he knows Mike before I know Mike. So kind of a weird little serendipitous thing, you know. Right. He's going to do this gig and, and we're going to see what happens because, uh, his name is Greg Beer, and he plays in a band here called, he's got a band here called Power. Kind of a, sort of like, not as heavy as Hitman, but the same sort of 80s hard rock metal type of sounds. Um, he's been living out here a long time, but yeah, he was like, oh, I'd be honored, you know. I, you know, he goes, I'm, you know, I'm no Mike, but I, I could do the parts. So I'm like, cool, you know. And Mike, the thing about Mike was, he was a huge personality, if you've ever seen any of the live, whatever live videos there are. He was uh, all over the stage. He was a big part of the live experience of Hitman because he was just really crazy, you know, really crazy. Loved Steve Harris and Gene Simmons, and those were his role models, you know. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so now we have, a, as of now, Greg, this guy, Greg Beer, 
He's an old friend of ours, uh, an old friend of Mike's. So, Cool. Guys, we are talking with Jim from the band Hitman. They were a New York heavy metal hard rock band from back in the day, and they are, they are back, and they're doing the Keep It True Festival. If you're going to that, definitely make sure you see their set. And they're self-titled original record which jim has explained sounds like the release was a bit botched if you will it's it's now has been re-released and uh no remorse records is who released it and and jim where's the best place people can get it is it like up on spotify and itunes and and is there a website you can buy the physical copy yeah, the, the No Remorse Records uh, website, I don't know the exact web address, but if you, you know, if you Google No Remorse Records and Hitman, uh, it'll come up. Cool. Uh, we just, I just got the, the, um, the record dis- uh, distributed through for, I uh, should be on iTunes t- within the next couple days. Okay. All and right. then Amazon and all those. You know, it takes a little bit of time to get to the system, but yeah, I got, it's, it's up for sale digitally now as well and we heard earlier in the program the song dead on arrival which is of course a classic song by hitman which you can now get this re re reissued version of are they remastered to these the tunes did you go i know you remix the demo but as far as the self-titled album goes was there anything you did to that um no because what we did we did use was the uh Someone had gotten us a long time ago. Somebody gave me, went to Japan and got me the Japanese release of that album. And the mastering on that was way better than the American version. So I'm glad I had that because I put it on and I, you know, I told Dirk, I said, man, the Japanese version sounds amazing. Do you have it? And he said, yeah. I said, well, that's, we don't have to touch this. It sounds perfect. So, Cool. I mean, it's a very 80s sounding record, you know, yeah. uh, when oh, you yeah. listen to it, it's very much a time capsule. I mean, the, the exploding uh, snare drum, you know, gated reverb and, sure. and all that, you know, I, I wish we could have remixed that too. I would have, I think I would have done it some justice, but uh, it is what it is. And it, you know, it stands as it stands. So there you go. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I think it sounds great. And I, I personally, I love all those old sounds and and uh, you know i i hate it when bands i mean megadeth controversially went back and re-recorded and remixed a lot of their older stuff and i i gotta tell you i i don't like the the new versions of it i I like it to be authentic and that that includes even if you have stuff like gated reverb or too much reverb or, or whatever it it just it brings you back to that time and and i'm very much against messing with with the the old recordings that we, that we grew up with, so I'm glad that it's it's still the the same mix and everything. Now let, let's get into the the hit TV show that everyone is talking about, Stranger Things. Uh, just I mean everywhere, this is just a phenomenon. This show, people are calling it the best show in years, and this is a true story, which just really kind of freaked me out because. My wife and I were, I guess you'd call it like binge watching season two. And mm-hmm. one night we, we, I think we did about two or three episodes one night and we stopped after, I think it was season two, episode five. This is maybe a month or so ago. And 
there was a song that I heard when this guy, I think his name's Billy, he's he's Max's older brother, pulls up in his sports car, the Trans Am or whatever it is, and there was this music blaring oh. out of the car. And I, I said to my wife, I was like, what is that? What is that music? I should know that because a lot of the metal stuff they, they play on there, I, I recognize and I know. But it was driving me nuts all day. The next day, I was thinking, "Damn, who was that 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 played in that car?" I didn't get as far as googling it, which probably would have given me the answer. Um, but I, I didn't <laughs> go that far. But it was definitely on my mind. I was definitely thinking about it. And that night, I log into Facebook, and there's this message from you, and it was it was really just such a bizarre coincidence because I'd been thinking kind of a little bit about that song all day, and here you are saying, oh, yeah, I'm from the band Hitman. We were a New York hard rock heavy metal band. Oh, and by the way, one of our songs was used in Stranger Things, which you said something like, I think that might, <laughs> which I guess is a big deal. And and, and then I said, uh, I said, yeah. was it episode five from season two? And you responded, yes. So it was just really kind of weird because <laughs> I couldn't believe it because the whole day I, I kind of had it on my mind. Like, oh, I got to I got to Google that and find out who that was and. I was a little ashamed. I didn't know who it was, but so yeah, it was just it was it was really a very odd coincidence that that same day <laughs> that I'm thinking about this song, trying to figure out who it was, the guy who made the song reaches out to me on Facebook. So it's just random, very very strange. <laughs> and I swear that's to God, funny. that's a true story. That's a true story. So oh my God, yeah. How, how did that happen? The, you guys got a song placed in the biggest TV show of 2017. How, how did that happen? Well, unbeknownst to me, because I had no idea how big the show was. Um, I basically for the last 15 years, that's kind of what I've been doing for a living is, I, uh, I make music and I have guys that are music consultants and they get placements in TV shows, okay. films, commercials, what have you. That's kind of uh, what I've been doing for the last 15 years. Um, and, you know, it's every, this one uh, consultant I work with is a friend of mine. We're really good friends now. We basically kind of kept each other's lights on for the last 15 years, you know, him getting me placements and, you know, we both do great off of it. Um, he started focusing on uh, period correct period music. That's anything that's because a lot of TV shows, like for instance, Mad Men, right? right. They sure. only want mu They only wanted music from the era. They didn't want music that sounded like it was from the era. It actually had to be from the era. So of course, a lot of that stuff is super expensive. Yeah. Um, so he basically said, hey, if you have any of your old band's material, you know, that 80s band you were in, send it to me. It's like a lot of people are looking for period music. You know, it's got to be from the period. It can't be sound alike period. It's got to be. So I said, man, the Hitman stuff is about as 80s as it gets. I'll send it to you. And he's gotten me a few placements over the years. This one, I, I, I think he might have told me about it. I mean, I had no idea how big the show was. All of a sudden... It you know it, my phone kind of blew up with people like I heard Hitman on, on Stranger Things right and yeah. oddly enough they used the demo they used the demo version not the album version wow okay <laughs> which is even funnier because if you know if you watch that scene right before they show the scene with the car they have that weird backwards drum thing when the the two people are talking that's the beginning of Metal Sport we did the intro with backwards drums which we later hated 
Yeah. <laughs> so we did it front, front ways on the album, but, uh, so it kind of exits out of that scene with that, with that backwards drum intro. And then, you know, they're blasting metal sport out of the car. I had no idea. I've never even heard of the show. You know, and all of these people are like, Oh my God, I heard you on stranger things. I'm like, what? <laughs> and I called him up and he's like, yeah, I got that. It's like, it's like the biggest show right now. I said, I had, he's like, yeah, my daughter watches it. Everybody knows it. My kids watch it. I watch it with my kids. Right. I had no idea. So yeah. I was like, Oh wow. And that's the week that record came out. The, wow. the re-release came out October 31st. Wow. Good time. <laughs> so nice. yeah, good, really good timing. I'd say, um, so yeah, so that's how that happened, and there are going to be so there was a there are going to be some more Hitman placements because now people are not from that, but just because I guess eighties is a popular theme and you know TV now with these TV shows they're doing eighties sure. retro. So there you go. Hopefully it'll continue, and uh, you know we'll get a little something out of it. You know, very good. And we are going to play that song for the Talking Metal listeners in just a bit. We'll make sure we play the, the demo version, as you mentioned. I think that was part of the uh, the tracks that you sent me over. So I'll make sure we play the, the demo version of it. The song, you mentioned it, Metal Sport, an early Hitman song off of the self-titled record and the first demo. And just great stuff. And uh, I'm so glad you reached out, and I'm so glad I was able to discover hitman because i do remember the name from back in the day but i can't specifically say that i i was well versed on you guys when i was a, a teenage metalhead so better late than never yeah, I, I think uh, i think we were probably playing the clubs before you were old enough to go to them okay Could uh, you be. know 88 85 86 87 yeah that's kind of when we were really hitting it hard right um right. So, yeah. yeah. Well, the thing was, I used to go to the all-age shows. However, I lived in the Midwest until I was done with high school. And then um, I moved, my family moved back to New Jersey, where we had been when I was, like, in, in grade school. So, so yeah, we were back here, like, oh, late, okay. late 87, early 88 is when we kind of moved back into this area. So. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. That was, well, we were playing around then, but you were probably still too young to be going to stuff to to you know to regular rock and i think the drinking age had changed to 21 at that point yes definitely now you mentioned you did shows at lemore's east how many lemore's were there was it two or three back in the day there were three there was lemore brooklyn of course and then lemore east and then there was for a while lemore far east which was out where i lived in long island okay uh, and that eventually changed names to showcase but it was lemore far east for a while so there was Lamore um, Brooklyn. That one didn't. Then there was Lamore, the other Lamore, yeah. Lamore East. What was that? Staten Island. That was in Queens on that Queens, was in Queens Boulevard. Okay, all right, okay. And that was the biggest one. It was, it was a bigger club than the Brooklyn club. It was, you know, you get. I mean, I saw lots of stuff. There's Quiet Riot in there. There's Queens Rike in there. You know, lots of. We opened up for Seduce the first time we played there. Seduce um, out of Detroit. Out of Michigan, right? Yeah, and oddly enough, I, I became friends with Chuck Burns a couple of years ago, the drummer, um, through the whole Tiki thing that I'm into, and he's into that. And I was like, dude, I opened up for you in 1985. I was like, I remember that show. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, weird, weird worlds, they collide in weird ways. 
but you know, Lamore East was a really big, and that was always known more as the glam Lamores, which it really wasn't. But you know, Lamore Brooklyn's where all the heavy like thrash bands played. So everyone said uh, there was always that rivalry of oh, you're you playing the poser Lamores. It's like you know what? That's in our neighborhood, man. That's right. where we played. It had a big stage. It had great lights. You know, back then it was you know that kind of well, you're 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 a poser. You know <laughs> that whole right. thing. Um, okay, well, before I let you go, club. before oh, I let you so go, good. Jim, let's talk mm-hmm. about what what's up next for Hitman. You guys are working on new material, is that right? We are, we are. Um, you know, we're in different states, so myself and Dirk both uh, have recorded stuff records on our own. Um, so we just, when this whole "Keep It True" thing came up and the re-release came up, I was like, "Hey, why don't we do some new stuff?" Cool. And he's like, okay, I said, all right, so let's let's talk about what the new material's going to be like because, you know, we always got tagged for sounding like Queensryche and it's kind of inescapable. We have that, you know, that kind of style. But I said, let's really, uh, let's really focus on like what made us get together w- with Hitman in the first place, like what made us want to play metal. So like the influences are all classic, you know, Rainbow, you know, Dio era Sabbath. You know, early priest, early Iron Maiden. Cool. You know that kind of stuff. Uh, we're going for the classic metal sound, kind of pre nineteen. I would like to keep it pre nineteen eighty four or five, more like the late seventies, early eighties kind of new wave of British heavy metal sound. Nice. So yeah, we're doing new material. We got a bunch of stuff written and record demoed right now, and we're we, we plan to have it ready for keep it true, but I don't think it's going to be. We'll probably have some sort of two song single type release for that. Okay. And cool. then, yeah. So hopefully keep it true. will kind of give us a, give us a little boost over there. We can get more of those festival shows. There's a lot of them. I, I want to be in on that. You know, I want to be right. playing those kind of shows. Cool. Well, so, best of luck to you, man. Yeah, it's been great talking with you and getting educated on Hitman, the classic heavy metal band from the 1980s. They're still they're still here. They are producing new music. They're doing Keep It True. Do you think uh, there could be dates in the States or, or no? Well, right now the plan is, my plan is, I, I don't want to go to play Keep It True without have, have, having done any sort of warm-up show. Um, and that makes it a little tough because our drummer's in Vegas. I'm here in Southern California. The other two guys are in New York, and the bass player's here. Wow. But I, I told them, I said, the week before we go to Keep It True, you know, let's, why don't we just all go to New York, play a show for our old friends, and that'll be our warm-up show a couple days before we fly. We can fly out from New York to Germany. So that's the plan I have in my head right now, which I hope happens because I know a lot of our friends would love to see us again. And of course, uh, you will be on the guest list. Oh, awesome. Um, and hopefully you can make it. <laughs> I'd love to. Please hopefully keep me posted. Yeah, uh-huh. g- Give me a couple weeks notice and I will be there. Thanks for coming on and talking with us here on Talking Metal. Guys, this is the band Hitman. The song is called Metal Sport as heard on the great show Stranger Things, a part of season two. And again, the the album has been re-released and the demo re- remixed. So definitely check it out. No Remorse Records has re-released Hitman. We're going to have the uh, the 
links up in today's show notes that'll take you right over to No Remorse Records where you can purchase a copy of the Hitman self-titled re-release record and of course check it out on iTunes and Spotify and Amazon and all that too. Jim, thanks so much. Thank you very much.